Hey everyone, and welcome to the 69th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. This Veterans Day episode is with Danny Long, a military spouse from Montana, and she is speaking out against the military's vaccine mandate and the government's aggressive and unprecedented behavior towards soldiers and military spouses. Her husband, John, is a senior non-commissioned officer in the Air Force and is one of the many soldiers in the United States pushing back against the mandate. Please share this episode and help spread their message. Also, after giving us a listen, please call your representatives and tell them to push back. Check out the description of this interview to find some of the resources that Danny talks about in this interview. And as always, remember to subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you are watching on YouTube, remember to give this episode a thumbs up. Thanks, and here's my interview with Danny Long. All right, everyone, thanks for listening in. I think that this is gonna be a very important interview and I'm happy we could get it scheduled today. We're recording on Veterans Day, and I have Danny Long with me, and we're here to talk about her husband and his time in the military and what's going on with the vaccine mandate. Um, Danny, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Do you want to just give a brief bio about you and your husband and uh, maybe get into his military career? Yes, I can. First and foremost, I just want to say that my thoughts and opinions are my own. I don't represent the DOD in any capacity or the Department of the Air Force. And so all of the things I'm saying are just, you know, my own personal experience and what we are dealing with. Um, My husband has been in the military for 17 years now. We got married right after high school. We have five children. We have lived all over the world. He's deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, I think he's logged in seven deployments in the last 17 years. So our entire adulthood has been um, him supporting the global war on terror. And um, currently we are stationed in Florida, and he is routing a religious exemption for the COVID-19 vaccine. And so starting back at the beginning of COVID and and what happened there, do you want to just detail exactly what that was like and what life was like when it first started? Yes. So my husband was actually deployed at the very beginning of COVID, and he came home just as the United States decided to do the two weeks to flatten the curve, slow the spread, whatever it was. Um, so he was actually home and on his R&R leave during that. And as soon as that R&R leave, which happened to coincide with the two weeks to slow the spread, as soon as that ended, he was deemed essential, he and his team, and they went right back into it training. And he did not have a single day off last summer. I think he took one day off in June last summer. And other than that, they were just overworked, undermanned. They had one guy who was deployed and he was on a four month deployment and they left him over there for nine months. They said, oh, it's COVID, you know, we're locked down. You can't come home. And so he was left for nine months over there. And my husband, his shop was just way undermanned and overworked. They had to triple their workload because they could only teach. um, They normally teach about 30 students per class and they could only teach nine at a time with one instructor so that they were within the COVID restrictions of only 10 people in a group. So his hours tripled and he was undermanned and it was just a very intense summer of, I think he was coming home like at 8 PM every night, trying to get college classes in. We didn't see him at all. Then he deployed again. He was only home for six months. He deployed again and was deployed last fall and into this spring. Um, And during this time is when the COVID vaccine became available to service members. It was not mandatory. It was highly encouraged, but it was voluntary. Um, And there was a little bit of pressure there for him to get it. And he said, you know, no, thank you. I've been working this whole time. You know, I have not caught COVID. Um, No, thank you. And it wasn't mandated. And luckily he had good leadership, so they weren't pushing it on him, but that has not been the case for a lot of military members. Um, The Navy 
was very hostile about pushing this vaccine when it was not mandated, when it was still voluntary. They were not letting people off of the ship. Um, they were withholding, you know, privileges to get off the ship and go see family. And so they are boasting that they had such a high vaccination rate. But what they're not telling you is that the threats and the coercion and the punish they weren't punishing you, but they were withholding privileges from you. So a lot of people in the Navy got it just, you know, so they could have kind of some semblance of normalcy. Um, my, I've got a family member who's at the Air Force Academy right now, and he was told, you know, if you don't get the shot, we're not going to let you on the special flying team. So he felt very pressured to get it, even though it was voluntary at that time, or he would lose his, his spot on the flying team. So while it wasn't mandated, it was still very heavily, heavily pushed. Um, there were guys who couldn't eat in the chow hall. They had to pick up their meals to go. They couldn't stay in the chow hall. They'd have to take them, um, and eat somewhere else. Um, a few, you know, bases have said, if you don't have the vaccine, you can't use the gym. Um, you can't go to the legal office. Uh, it's even trickled down to spouses where they've told, you know, spouses can't use the gym unless they show proof of vaccination. They had key spouse events that you could, I couldn't go to because I wasn't vaccinated. And award ceremonies, graduation ceremonies, all these things that were being withheld from family members um, based on their medical status, which is a push I've never, you know, seen anything like it within the military. So anyways, and I say all this to say that when I say it was voluntary, I also mean it was illegal to mandate it because several years ago, the government was caught experimenting on troops with the anthrax vaccine. It was experimental medicine and there was a big court case. It was Doe versus Rumsfeld. And since that, we have put in concrete that is absolutely illegal to mandate an experimental vaccine for military members. There are special circumstances in which you could mandate a waive their conformed scent, but it would require an executive order signed by the president that is waiving the troops informed consent. And to this date, that has not happened and that has not been signed. What, so, is, the, what is the actual status of the mandate? Is there anything on the books and what does it, what does it look like? So now in the summer, the Secretary of Defense said, I want to mandate this vaccination upon FDA approval, or I will seek the president's signature to waive informed consent, whichever comes first. When we heard that, we launched a call campaign and we logged over 2 million calls to Congress, to the Armed Service Committee, um, telling them, asking them, you know, don't, you know, we don't want we don't want the president to sign away informed consent. Um, the circumstances don't warrant that. So what happened was, is we just flooded the office with calls. We filled up voice boxes. We called nonstop. Um, and when I say we, there was just a large amount of military spouses, parents, family members, troops themselves. We just flooded the armed service committee nonstop for weeks so it got to the point where the Pentagon needed to take action because, you know, the Armed Service Committee was just being lit up. So they released a statement through their press secretary that said, when we mandate the vaccine, we're going to allow troops who do not want it um, the chance to, to apply for a religious exemption our medical exemption, et cetera, et cetera. And they have this whole process lined out where you can apply because they say, you know, we, when, a, when somebody joins the military, they aren't giving up their first amendment, right? They still have their first amendment right to expression of their religion, of their sincerely held beliefs. And there's a process to apply for exemptions in, you know, in any way there's, you know, you can get a, if your religion 
you know, says that you're not to shave, you can apply for a waiver to grow a beard. You know, whatever your sincerely held beliefs are, you can apply for an exemption for that. And um, it is on the government's responsibility to not burden your religion by the least or choose the least restrictive means. Um, So they have a whole process for requesting exemptions Um, and your religious beliefs can be whatever they're your religious beliefs. They're your personal, sincerely held beliefs. They don't have to align with your overarching um, religion of choice. It's your personal beliefs. And the Supreme Court has found time and time again that your personal beliefs are personal to you. No one else can tell you if they are false or not. So that's kind of where the press secretary did this thing. You know, you can you can apply for a religious exemption. And um So basically paraphrasing him, he said, we will allow, this is the process, this is what you need to do. And everyone was pretty, you know, excited. And they were like, oh, we're going to, you know, if we have a belief, a lot of service members don't take vaccinations that have been tested on or developed using fetal tissue. And the COVID-19 vaccine, some of them use fetal tissue. Some are tested on fetal tissue. And so those particular members were very excited. They said, oh, well, we can, you know, apply for an exemption for this. And um, I, as soon as I saw that press release, they kicked it out to Fox News, which was very skeptical to me. And I thought to myself, they're doing this to shut up the call campaign. They're just, it's just lip service because as soon as everyone hears that exemptions are going to be allowed, they're going to be pacified. Like it was just to pacify everybody. And that turns out to be, appear to be exactly what is happening because to date there's been zero exemptions approved and they're sending out blanket denials to everybody who has followed the process. They've not had any intention of allowing any of them. So it's fraudulent that they even, you know, advertised the exemption process. Did did anything change when the FDA actually approved the vaccine or has it just been kind of like this, this bait and switch where they said that there would be exemptions and then it, it never happened? Um, well, what changed is the aggressiveness of this kicked up a notch. Um, It's just been an aggressive push to the likes that doesn't really make sense. Um, There are people who are on terminal leave. Terminal leave is when you are about to retire from the military and say you have like two months of leave saved up that you haven't used yet. So your terminal leave is you're going to go take that leave, the two months of leave, you're still, you know, on, on the books getting paid and then you go into retirement. So a lot of people just kind of save up their leave in the last few years and take like a couple months to get their life set up, you know, to move on. And so there's people who are on terminal leave right now who were called back in, they were called back in by their commanders and said, we need you to come get this shot. And they're like, why I'm retiring in two months. Why do I need to get this shot? Um, and it was just really aggressive maneuvers like that, that were being pushed down. It just hasn't really made a lot of sense. Um, there was a woman who had just given birth and she was on her maternity leave, which is normally about three months. And then she was going to retire or separate because when you have a baby, you have the option to get out, you know, shortly after your baby's born. So she was on, she was on her maternity leave. They called her and they harassed her in her home on maternity leave and said, you have to come get the shot. You have to get it. She got really tired of just being harassed. She went in, got, got the shot. She had a reaction, went to the ER the ER doctor said, this is definitely a reaction. Do not get the second shot. And so she was like, okay, I'm not getting the second shot. Her command 
kept harassing her and kept harassing her. You have to get your second shot. And she showed him her ER paperwork. Her medical doctor pretty much said it doesn't matter. Everybody is getting the shot. And so she said, no, I'm not going to. And I believe they were threatening to give her an article 15, even though she's getting out as soon as her maternity leave is done. Um, So we're just seeing things like that, that are just really aggressive pushes that don't make sense um, when these people are separating. And it's just kind of been mind blowing to read people's stories and what they're dealing with and how their chain of command has just been bulldogs about it. Yeah, you and I were talking about this before, but can can you just explain a little bit about like the religious exemption process and how it's done and what the law is there? Okay, so the religious exemption process, if that's the you can apply for a medical exemption um, and that could be like you've had, you know, reactions to other vaccines before and you can document show documentation and you can request to be medically exempt. Or you could be, um, you know, pregnant, et cetera, except they've been very, very aggressive also with pregnant women because they're saying there's no studies showing that it's unsafe. And these women are saying, well, there's also no studies showing that it is safe. And it's frustrating for them because they're told, don't eat lunch meat, don't take Tylenol, don't, you know, eat sushi. These could all be dangerous for your baby. But then they're saying, but you have to get the shot. Um, So that's frustrating for them. So there's a lot of women applying for medical exemptions, um, citing pregnancy. Some are getting approved, some are not. But the religious exemption is a very kind of lengthy process, and it's all laid out within the regulations. And what you do is you have a medical appointment, and the medical appointment is just kind of a checkbox. They answer your questions or concerns you have, and you get a memo from the medical clinic. And then you go to a chaplain on base or with your unit, and you sit down and you go over what your sincerely held beliefs are and why these beliefs may prevent you from taking an immunization. Then you have to wait for your chaplain to write a memo, and then those two memos plus a memo from your commander. And this is just all, all branches have a different process. This is the air force process. And then it goes to your commander and he can recommend to approve or disapprove your exemption. The chaplain will also recommend approval or denial. And it doesn't stop there. Like, even if they both said, we don't think you have a sincerely held belief. We think you're just full of baloney. Um, you still have to route it up to the MAGCOM. So for example, my husband met with his chaplain and his chaplain said, I recommend approval based on our interview. I recommend you for approval. His commander recommended him for approval. And then that package goes up to um, like the wing board, which is like the whole base. And they have a, a lawyer there. They've got a chaplain there. They have a few other people and they sit around and they look at your package and they either recommend, we think we should approve this or we think we should deny this. And then they send it up to another level higher. So my husband did all of that and his went up to the MAGCOM and they kicked back a denial, even though he had an approval from the chaplain and an approval from the commander. And so now he is appealing that and then that goes up to the Surgeon General of the Air Force. And if that is denied, then um, he will be given you know, a chance to comply with this order or they will separate him. But the law is when somebody is applying for a religious exemption, the burden is on the service. So in this case, the Air Force, the burden is on the service to find the least restrictive thing for you to be allowed to practice your First Amendment or exercise your First Amendment right. Um, so in this case, it would be least, least restrictive if they said, okay, well, you don't have to take the shot, but you have to wear a mask and you have to social distance and um you know, we need to submit weekly testing or whatever, that would be least restrictive. 
But the interesting thing is his memo came back and it said the least restrictive thing to burden your religion or your your sincerely held beliefs is to take the coronavirus vaccine. And that's all the memo said. They said they have a compelling government interest. They did not say what that compelling government interest is. They did not provide any type of documentation to him on to support their statements or to support why there is no other least restrictive option. So that right there is kind of operating outside of the federal law that they are supposed to be following per the regulations. I'm, I'm wondering um, for people who have sincerely held beliefs, but aren't necessarily religious, do they still often go through the chaplain? Are you aware of anything like that? Yes. Yeah, so you have to meet with the chaplain no matter what, like even if your sincerely held beliefs are moral or like conscious uh, objecting or even, you know, pagan or whatever, you know, there's quite a few Norse pagans in the military. Um, they still have to go through the chaplain. And luckily my husband had a good chaplain who was doing his job, which is just basically to go over the process with you to talk about your beliefs and, um, just listen to you and, and help you understand the process. Um, but unfortunately for a lot of other people going through this, and there's hundreds of thousands of people in the military right now routing these, um, the chaplain has been at, been instructed to act like a gatekeeper and say, no, you, you don't qualify. Your beliefs don't qualify and, or, or to try to kind of bully them or threat, threaten them out of it. And so I've read a lot of people's personal stories there that they, you know, leave their chaplain meeting feeling very disheartened because basically the chaplain told them it's too bad. You know, I'm not approving this. I don't approve of this. Um, and they still have to route them up. But I think a lot of people have just been so discouraged from the beginning that they didn't even follow through. Yeah. And, um, the next thing I have here is that they're denying on readiness. Um, mm -hmm. can you, can you explain what that is and what exactly is happening there? Okay. So when, um, the wing board took my husband's, you know, thing from his commander that said, I recommend, you know, he approved this. And from the chaplain who said, we recommend he approve this. The wing board said that they recommend denying the thing because of readiness issues. So readiness in the military is your ability to be ready to go at a moment's notice anywhere you need to go. Like is basically how ready are you? How fast can you get to where you need to go um, to accomplish a mission? So they are citing readiness as the reason for denying, blanket denying everybody's. And it's extremely frustrating for myself and others because my husband was deployed twice last year and he worked every day in between those deployments over time. I think he trained over 2,300 personnel in person. He trained them in person and they have not had a single case of coronavirus linked back to him or his operations. So it's very frustrating that, you know, up and they're still having training. He's still unvaccinated and he's still training people. So they're saying you have to get the shot or you can't be ready at the same. And, you know, you can't go to the base gym. You can't go to the legal office. You're a health threat. You're a danger. But at the same time, as long as it's, you know, convenient for them, he's a health threat. But as soon as it's inconvenient and there's air crew that need qualifications signed off, they have no problem with him training people in person. And just last week, they asked him to do special, you know, a, a special last minute training for somebody who needed to deploy. That person needed to deploy. He didn't have his things signed off. He had to do training. They sent an SOS to my husband saying, hey, can you train this guy really quick? We got to get him out the door. And so it's just frustrating that they're saying we can't approve this because it's not going to meet readiness, but really they're not meeting readiness without my husband doing his training so they can send people out the door. 
So it's just been exceedingly frustrating that, that they're citing readiness. And, you know, they had all these fancy COVID protocols in place last summer, you know, you know, if you were exposed, you had to go quarantine and, you know, all these things, but there's been times where, um, for example, one of the guys in my husband's shop, his kids were exposed to COVID, you know, at, at their daycare and right away they let the chain of command know, Hey, you know, this guy's kids were exposed. We're going to quarantine him. We need to let our students know that they had possible exposure. And the command was like, mm, no, it's secondary. You know, the kids to the service member, to the students, it's secondary. It'll be fine. And they did that time and time again, where they just were really not that concerned about COVID and didn't really follow their own protocol. And here we are, they're saying you must get the shot um, or you're a danger, but they for sure are still working them out the door. Yeah, I think we're seeing that throughout, I mean, the entire country is like just these contradictions that don't make any sense at all, yeah. especially with this Aaron Rodgers case, which I'm very thankful for. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to be exposed to the contradictions because, you know, people who aren't yeah. necessarily involved in politics, they'll be paying attention to Rodgers. And, and the story there, yeah. Um, something that he mentioned was that he was actually, he knew more about whether or not he was infected than everyone else because the protocols were mm-hmm. uh, stricter for him because he was unvaccinated. Yeah. So he would, yeah. he would be tested every single day and he got mm-hmm. COVID from someone who was unvaccinated because they're mm-hmm. testing like, I think it was once a week. Mm-hmm. You mean he got COVID from someone who was vaccinated? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's frustrating because even, um, you know, even people in my husband's command, they got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine last December. So that was 10 months ago, 11 months ago. And if you follow the science, they technically no longer have immunity, but because they have this, you know, they have their card stamped, they can pass go, they can collect $200, they can continue on their military career when science would say that they and my husband are on an equal playing field. But yet what is happening is with my husband and hundreds of thousands of others, because they just have refused to just, you know, get it. They're about to be kicked out to the curb like yesterday's trash because they're not just going along with what is told of them. And the other thing people may not know or not may not be aware of is the shot that they are offering on military installations is actually not the FDA approved vaccine. So even if my husband wanted to follow this mandate and he felt like it was lawful and legal, if he went into a military facility to get his COVID shot and asked them to have to give him an FDA approved licensed and labeled vaccine, which is the wording on the secretary of defense's memo. He said troops must be vaccinated with the FDA approved licensed and labeled vaccine or an emergency use authorization one. So that is voluntary. The, or the, because of the law, the emergency use authorization ones are actually still voluntary. He didn't mandate them because he knows he can't do that. He knows that's against the law. So he said they have to get the approved, licensed, and labeled one or the other ones voluntarily. Well, if if my husband went into the clinic and said, I want the FDA approved, licensed, and labeled one, they don't have that. Actually, nowhere in the United States has that right now. Um, it has not been produced or manufactured in the United States and it's not been distributed yet because they have all these um, Pfizer biotech emergency use ones. They have millions of doses of those left and they want to get rid of those ones first, but they still on the label say emergency use authorization. So therefore my husband can't even comply with the order if he wanted to. And I think that is one of the most maddening things is why is he even routing an exemption when 
what's what's he trying to ask to be exempt for? They don't even have it yet available. So yeah, that's, that's something I think a, a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of troops have caught on and went into installations and asked, hey, I want to see the vial. I want to see the label. And just down the road from us, a base there was doing a big COVID shot rodeo. That's what they call it, a rodeo. And, um, you know, people went in and said, can I see the label? Can I see the vial? And they were told, we have been instructed not to show vials because it's too controversial. So people aren't even getting their informed consent. There's no insert from the package to read. Um, there's, there's nothing and their informed consent is being thrown out the window. And a lot of them just don't even know it. They think they're getting the correct thing. They trust the system, they trust the things. And it's just kind of, frankly, it's, I think criminal what's happening right now. Well, if you're mandated to get a specific product and then, so that the actual system is compliant, they give you another product that doesn't, that's pretty ridiculous. And I think inhumane. Yeah. And, you know, my husband had told his chain of command, he's like, well, do you even have the correct one on, on staff? And he was told, well, medical says we do. And, um, and then they said, well, if it's not, if they don't have the correct one, you can go town, downtown and find it. And to which my husband said, he was like, no, if you are mandating me to take something, you need to provide it for me. It is not on me to run around all around town to try to find the correct the correct item. And as of right now, they don't nowhere that I have heard of in the United States has the correct labeled and licensed product. You had mentioned that um, your husband had tried to get a whistleblower affidavit. Is Oh, he, yeah, he wrote one actually. Okay. He wrote one. Yeah. Um, so when the, when they kicked back the readiness issue, my husband decided he was not going to stand for that because the the effort he has put forward the last 18 months, he and, he and his team, um, you know, they were hamstrung with people being left in the desert and their schedule being tripled. Um, and for them, for them to say readiness, you know, that really, he took that to heart because we haven't seen him for 18 months. And he was just like, that's not fair. And that's not right. Um, so he wrote a affidavit, which is a sworn statement on penalty of perjury. And he just went in and he wrote, you know, all the things they've done, all the people they've trained, um, the, the commanders who refuse to give them a reprieve or a break or any type of help, you know, and, or, or bring that guy back who was left in the desert for nine months. So he went and detailed all the things that have been going on the last 18 months and calculated, you know, the number of students he trained and that not a single case of coronavirus has been traced back to him. And yet the military is saying, oh, if you, you know, you don't get this shot, you're not ready. So he just kind of wrote that and he had it notarized and he gave it to his commander and his commander actually really liked it. He said it was really good. So my husband's going to be including that in his appeal. Um, we are under no illusion that the appeal is going to go anywhere or get approved. Um, I think we've just kind of, it's been like a slow, painful death, um, you know, just kind of going through the system. And, and, um, and the other frustrating thing is the Air Force has been changing the rules as they go. Um, as, as people have kind of become aware of things and adapted to things because originally on September 3rd, the guidance was that this was not a requirement for deployment. They said, it's just a health requirement. It's not a deployment requirement. So a lot of people were like, well, awesome, because I can get my exemption and I can still deploy and I can still do TDY and it's not going to really affect my readiness. So in my husband's affidavit, he cites that, you know, he said, Hey, you say it's not a deployment requirement. Um, so this isn't going to affect my readiness in any way, shape or form. And then I believe it was a Friday evening, maybe October 22nd or 23rd. I could be wrong on the date, so don't quote me. 
um, the Air Force sneakily went in and updated their guidance to change it to all of a sudden it is now a deployment requirement. And so they, and this is not the first time they've just gone in and kind of snuck in a new, a new rule as, as we've gone along. So we're trying to play by the rules. We're trying to follow the regulations and they're just changing them as we go. Um, so that has been exceedingly frustrating for everybody, I think. And another thing that they did was they saw how many people were applying or not even applying because there is several people who are applying for a religious exemption, but there's also a very significant number of people who are just not doing anything. They're not getting the shot. They're not applying for anything. They're just going to see where the cards fall. And so the Air Force went in and sneakily gave this little option that said, if you don't want the coronavirus vaccine, you have until November 1st to apply to separate early or retire early and instead of getting the vaccine. But they didn't tell anyone about the guidance and they slipped it in. And um, some of our people in our networking groups found the guidance. And my husband contacted his chain of command and was like, hey, when are you going to let people know about this option? You know, the deadline is coming up. November 1st is coming up. You need to let people know because there are people who, who would like to just retire or who would like to separate early instead of get the shot. And the chain of command hadn't even heard of it. So Big Blue Air Force wrote this, snuck it in, and then told nobody. So it was almost like, well, we gave you guys the option, but you didn't take it. You know, like put it out there that you could have you could have got out, but you didn't take the option. So that was another frustrating thing because there are people who've who've done 25 years and they're at risk of losing their entire pension because they're not planning on getting the shot. What is, what is the appeal process like with um, that you guys are going through right now? And um, how do you think it's going to end? I guess. So the appeal process is you basically take your denial letter and you draft another one and you just say like, you don't agree with the appeal. With the decision, you want to appeal it. You want to stay in the service. You're willing to do, you know, these less restrictive things. Like I believe my husband is including in there. Like there's plenty of other options that are least restrictive, less restrictive on me and my beliefs than taking the shot. And you kind of put this package all together and you send it up to, in our case, the Air Force Surgeon General. And then you wait. 30 days for that, for that answer. And, um, as of right now, they may offer a separation because technically if, if the military can't support your religious beliefs or they can't, you know, uphold, um, your belief system, they'll say, well, we can't meet what you need us to meet and we don't want to burden you. Um, so we will administratively separate you. And there's been a lot of debate about what kind of separation that's going to look like. Um, there has been rumor that the president wants everyone who gets removed to get a dishonorable discharge, which would be um, crazy because normally that's, you know, felons and people who have done awful, terrible things in the military who get, you know, dishonorably discharged. Um, and then that goes with you on the outside, you know, once you're in the civilian world, that it's not a good thing to follow you around. In some states, you can't vote. In some, you can't, you know, have, you lose your right to your second amendment, right? Um, so there's a lot of bad things that can come with a dishonorable discharge. Um, so a lot of people just trying, hoping for an honorable discharge. And I know there's a lot of senators and congressmen who are working to include in the National Defense Authorization Act this year, they're trying to get it in there that people who are separated because of the COVID vaccine, that they will be given an honorable discharge. And um, it's just, you know, it's like, that's nice. But in my opinion, I don't think anyone should be being removed. Everybody did just fine last year under very intense COVID restrictions. The military has not lost that many numbers to COVID. I, you know, they, 
losing a lot to suicide. That's for sure. But nobody wants to focus on, on that. Instead, they just want to make things more restrictive for families and military members. So your husband is currently at risk of losing um, the pension and he I heard in another interview, he's definitely not moving on this. So it's either they change this mandate or he does separate whether or not that's um, honorably or dishonorably. Are there any other options other than that? Um, you know, he the further this goes, like the further this has gone along and the more aggressive it has gotten and the more sense it's not making like it's just it's not adding up and he says every day he's like this just doesn't add up it's not adding up why they're pushing it so hard because we've never seen a push like this in the likes of anything i mean to the point where they're saying a spouse can't go to a retirement ceremony or she can't go to um fort rucker is is hosting a big thanksgiving meal for families, but you can't attend if you're not vaccinated. And so it's like, it's leeching over onto the spouses and the dependents, which the government should have no say whatsoever on what I as a spouse choose to do with my body. You know, it's just insane that they're now saying, oh, well, you're going to be medically discriminated against, um, unless you get the shot. So I think as my husband is watching this kind of just unfold and it's getting more intense and the, and the push is getting harder and harder. Um, I think his conviction, um, grows a little bit stronger. You know, he was pretty convicted about his beliefs on, on this particular thing. And I think it's just building and, I, I don't know what it's going to look like for us. We're 17 years in. So really we should be looking at getting out in three years and having uh, the pension and the full retirement benefits that he has spent his entire adult life working towards. And now it's like um, all of that is being threatened right now. And it's just crazy. It'd be so much easier if he would just go get the shot, you know? And I think that might be, the point of it all is they're making it so difficult and so frustrating and such, such a fight that I think they just want to wear you down. And this is, this is in the civilian world too. This isn't just military. Um, they're making it more and more difficult and wearing people down to the point where people are just like, you know, it'd just be so much easier if I would just go do this thing. And then like I, my, analogy is then he can pass go he can collect two hundred dollars he can go into retirement and it'd just be a lot easier if that is you know what he wanted to do but he's very convicted his belief system is preventing him from taking the shot so this is where we are are there this is kind of his hill to die on (laughs) Are there people in the military around him who are supportive of him? Like, is this, is the sentiment pretty common or, I mean, is he an outlier? No, it's, it is the prevailing opinion. There are people who didn't want to get the shot. And then when all the pressure started mounting, they kind of decided, oh, well, my career is, you know, more important. I don't want to deal with, you know, the hassle. I'll just get it. Um, and a lot of those people have kind of just moved on without, without us, you know, like they're just, you know, moving forward. Um, but the prevailing opinion that my husband has encountered and people that he works with, and even people in his chain of command who are vaccinated, they do not agree with what is going on. And it's frustrating because there are officers who don't agree with this, and they're routing religious exemptions themselves, but yet very few of them are actually taking up the stand against it and, and um, you know, trying to support their people. It's almost like it's been become every man for himself. And that's kind of a sad, a sad thing to see. But the ones that are 
still hanging in there. I mean, we're two months past the mandate now. Um, the ones that are hanging in there, they're, they're in it till the end and they're very supportive of each other. And there's a lot more of us than the press wants us to know that then they want to advertise. There's, there's a lot of people that are still hanging out, waiting kind of to see what happens. So I think that's, and there's, I think that's a common theme with this issue. It's, it doesn't really, I think that it's portrayed as if it is just like this partisan uh, red or blue kind of divide, but Mm -hmm. it, it really isn't. It really isn't. This is like, this has become a personal thing. And I think people will be surprised um, when they find out like people, I mean, just, if you just look at the celebrities who have come out, who have kind of forced to come out, it's like Matthew McConaughey, he's no right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 like, like if you're not, if you're not with us, you're against us is kind of what it's become. And I, I think my husband very much felt like he was the only one, you know, um, which is crazy because he, he works with people who are in the same boat he's in. Um, but I think he felt like, and he's not on social media or anything like that. So I think he really felt like I'm, I'm the only one, I'm the only one fighting this. And I kept telling him, no, you're not, no, you're not. And, you know, I am in a network of about 20,000 people and that's just people, you know, that, you know, are on a platform of some kind. There's many people who are not even on any type of platform. And uh, there's a lot of us and there's a lot of court cases right now. Um, The Navy SEALs are, you know, suing the DOD. They're in several different court cases because the Navy is threatening if they don't get the shot and they are separated, they want them to pay back their training. And, you know, the DOD dumps over a million dollars into training one SEAL. And there's multiple SEALs that are, you know, fighting this. Um, And so it's just interesting to me, you know, when they say readiness, they keep saying readiness is the reason you have to get the shot. And if you don't get it, then we're going to kick you out. On our installation alone, there's um, 1,600 civilians who have put in to retire before December. So that is just civilians that are eligible to retire. There's thousands more that are not eligible to retire who are just, you know, waiting to see if they're going to be fired. And uh, it's just going to shake out really weird because I don't think they're going to replace, you know, all those thousands of civilians in time. And what's it going to cost to hire new people, train new people and get them spun up? And what's it going to cost to, you know, administratively separate all these military members, pay to send them back to their homes of residence because you, you, you know, you get one last move when they separate you. And then, and then move in their replacements. It's going to cost upwards of millions upon millions of dollars to just kind of shake this all out. And I know there's some senators that had written a letter and requested the DOD to provide numbers on what the cost is going to be. And I think with all the, you know, if they even do get enough new hires, um, it's going to be inexperienced people. And it's, you really don't want unexperienced new hires within the military. You know, that's kind of where accidents and mishaps happen. And I'm just very curious to see how this is going to play out because number wise, it is going to, it's going to affect readiness more to separate all these people and, and not just military members, but I'm talking about civilians too. And, um, I, I don't know how well thought through all of this was. Mm -hmm. I do want to go back to your point about like, kind of just feeling like this individual in a sea of people that Mm -hmm. agree with you. I am a student at the university of Montana and Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to do some outreach to identify students who or against both the mask mandate and the vaccine mm-hmm. mandate if it, if it comes to UM. And mm-hmm. every single time they reach out to me, they say that they feel alone, but they also came to the University of Montana because they thought that Montana had this culture of being against both of these things and in favor of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single time I tell them, I'm like, 
there are more of you. There are more of mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah. you just have to find them and kind of encourage people to no longer self-censor. Um, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the biggest thing that we're encountering. Even myself, it's difficult when you're, we were out on campus the other day and got cussed out because I said mm-hmm. that I was with a libertarian group and he was obviously pro vaccine and we just wanted to have a conversation. Um, there were, uh, I think they were faculty members that came up and they were clearly for the vaccine and we just got into a conversation and it was very civil. So mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. that we just have to continue to encourage that. Um, and for, for the Montana listeners, people who are in Montana, I'm, I'm curious uh, what our officials have said. What has Rosendale said? What has Dane said? So we reached out, we reached out, I actually reached out in August before it was even mandated. And I had reached out to offices and left messages and I, I never heard back. Um, but my husband really wanted to reach out to his congressman, especially if his religious exemption is denied, because frankly, it's just fraudulent for the government to say, we will, we have a process within our regulations laid out for you to apply. It is not up to us to decide what your religious beliefs are. And it is on us, our burden to find the least restrictive way possible to honor your religious beliefs. And so he followed all of the regulations. He checked all the boxes. He's done all the things. And then when it was denied, he said, I'm going to reach out to my congressman because um, they, you know, kicked back this blanket memo that they sent back to everybody. And that's the other missing ingredient that I don't think civilians understand is that when per federal law, the government is supposed to consider your request individually. They're supposed to look at your package individually, look at your career, look at all your things and make a determination based on you. But they're kicking back blanket denials that like my husband's memo from his MagCom matches somebody else. Like it's all the same wording, the same lines, nothing tailored to my husband's individual request, which is operating with outside of their legal bounds by federal law. So um, he wanted to reach out to his congressman and say, hey, look, you know, the DOD is not following regulation. They're not acting within the law. Um, He reached out. Rosendale's office was great. They took all of his information and they have submitted a congressional inquiry on his behalf. He reached out to Danes's office and he reached out to both the Helena office and the D.C. office. He left, you know, emails. He left um, messages with aides. And he said, you know, I'm a military member from Montana. This is the situation. I would like, you know, Senator Danes to, you know, step in and, and get in touch with me. And he got back a blanket generic email. Just, it was, you know, just a copy paste. Oh, this guy's talking about COVID-19 vaccine. So here's the blanket generic email that deals with that. And it had nothing to do with military or religious exemptions. It was just about vaccine. And so they sent him, you know, two emails. He got two because he had called the Helena office and the DC office. Um, and then I did a little radio snippet with um, Aaron Flint with Montana Talks, and I kind of talked about this, and they connected me to someone who works for Danes, and they had a phone call with my husband, and it was pretty much sympathetic, but there's nothing we can do, which is not true. I, I know they can't you know, change the mandate or anything like that, but there are senators like Senator Ron Johnson. He's been fighting this like crazy. He just had a whole panel where he invited all these military whistleblowers on it, injured people. He had a whole panel he, you know, sent to, he wanted the DOD to answer for the readiness issue. So senators can do things. They are some who are doing things, but ours is choosing not to do anything. Personal opinion. They're an organization that, um, that is trying to continue reaching out to these people. Um, like if, if someone wants to get active, can they go to an organization or should they reach out to you or continue to call their senators? 
Well, the biggest thing that they can do if they want to follow along is um, there's an organization called Military Freedom Keepers. You can find them on Instagram and they will post calls to action on certain bills and legislation that they want us to support and bring awareness to. They're the ones who kind of push the call campaign to the Armed Service Committee. They're very organized. Um, So that's Military Freedom Keepers. And um, then there's, you know, the armed service committee is just who you have to keep calling and just saying, you know, this isn't right. They're not doing this correctly. There are several lawsuits right now that are challenging the mandate, challenging um, the military and how they're not handling the religious exemption process, how they don't have the correct one um, on military installations. There's been rumor of the military printing out and putting new labels on vials. There's a lot of kind of shady things going on behind the scenes. So a lot of these lawyers are collecting evidence. So if anybody has evidence that their records have been scrubbed, because there are people who had previous religious exemptions on their records and the military has gone on and pulled them and scrubbed them out. And, um, you know, so people are just trying to figure out how to get how to get their old exemptions back. And it, and you can have your religious exemption pulled at any time for any reason if the commander deems it necessary. Um, but so if there's anybody who's having issues like that where their religious exemption has all of a sudden just disappeared off their records or if they have proof that labels have been swapped, um, people are going in who got, you know, Pfizer, Biotech and looking on their records and they're saying that they were given Cormanati, I believe is how you pronounce it, which is the FDA approved one that's not in circulation. So records are being changed. And so if anyone has proof of that, or if any military member has a situation that, you know, something's not adding up, um, there's a lot of lawyers who are working cases and they're collecting evidence um, to build their cases. So Mike Yoder is one of them. Um, First Liberty is, or Liberty Council is another one. who all have lawsuits going and you can go and donate to those lawsuits too. If you feel compelled to help financially um, with, you know, help the military members who are involved in these cases. And I would, I would urge all of the people who are listening and um, are in Montana actually to call Steve Danes and Rosendale because out of all the states, Montana has the second largest share, I believe, of veterans. And mm-hmm. it really doesn't take a lot to actually get your representatives concerned. Um, if they continue to get calls about this issue, I know that they will start to actually consider it because, um, I mean, we do have the second largest share of veterans. So obviously, if a certain percentage of them reach out, they're going to start to be a little worried that people are upset with them. Um, Yes. And I believe I'm not sure where it stands, but I do know a few years ago per capita, Montana is one of the large, you know, number one, it's way up there as far as per capita of service members or people who have served. So I do think people need to be calling and they need to say, hey, you need to be supporting these military members who are fighting this mandate. And a lot of civilians, like the prevailing opinion I see when I'm, you know, stupidly looking at comments on Facebook or wherever is, you know, oh, well, they've gotten all the shots. They've gotten all the shots. This one's not anything different, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just they didn't have a problem with the other ones. And that's actually not true because you can request exemptions for other shots. There's other, my husband has had exemptions for other shots. He has had medical exemptions. They have a regulation that says if you have prior immunity in lieu of a vaccine, you can have titters drawn. And if you show you're immune to that, you know, disease or, or whatever, you can be exempt from the shot because you have natural immunity. That is a regulation. That is a DOD regulation and they're ignoring the regulation. So all, all the people who have had COVID and recovered from COVID per the regulation, they should be able to not get the shot because they have positive antibodies. However, the, the DOD is not playing by their own rules. They're ignoring the regulation and they're saying the secretary of defense's memo trumps the regulation. And there's actually another lawsuit out of Colorado right now 
where two service members are challenging that who are COVID recovered and they're saying, hey, this regulation is here for a reason. Why can't we utilize it? So I'm very curious to see how that lawsuit comes out. The problem is, is just how long, you know, the wheels of justice turn slowly and all these deadlines are quickly approaching for all the service members to be vaccinated or lose their lose their job and be kicked to the curb. Yeah. Well, I really hope to stay in touch with you and just get updates along the way and see what goes on. And I hope people share this episode and get the word out, um, especially in Montana, because I think that like, I, I forget what the statistic is, but it's like, or people say like if 20 people reach out to a representative, mm-hmm. they start to get concerned if it's over, yeah. especially if it's in a day. So, I mean, I'm going to yeah. call my representatives this week and, and tell them about and I- And I think what people also need to know, because people are becoming a little bit socially awkward and they don't like to make phone calls and whatever. So they do emails. Emails do not have the same effect with the congressman. You need to call them or send good old snail mail because it really shows you put effort into it. You know, you you lick the stamp and you put it in the mailbox or you call them, but the emails are the least effective way to get a hold of your congressman. So definitely be calling. If you have social anxiety, if you don't like to talk to people, you don't know, you can call after hours and you can leave a message. And if the inbox is full, you just hit zero and it should take you to another inbox uh, to leave a message because they do have to check their messages. Um, So that's a really good way for people if they have social anxiety. And then I just kind of wanted to end with uh, reading kind of a sentiment from my husband. Um, He sent me this text several months ago. I think um, as we watched Afghanistan kind of fall apart, he sent me this uh, message and I just wanted to read it. Hopefully I won't cry. Um, But I wanted to read it because I don't think people understand, you know, the pressure that these men are going through and women, men and women. Um, So he said, um, we were talking about if he, um, if they did approve his exemption, you know, he probably wouldn't be able to deploy again or go TDY again. And he has really enjoyed deploying. It's kind of the highlight of his career. He loves what he does. Um, So he said, Everywhere I have gone of mission value to me has been abandoned or has been already. I have been shot at. I've seen terrible things. I've been broken physically, mentally, and emotionally. And at the end of the day, it was all for nothing. I'm now being attacked by my own organization for my beliefs, my skin color, and my gender. I should not have to use my survival skills just to make it out of the office. It doesn't even address the stress and the damage to you and the kids. No one cares about anyone. No one is willing to take a stand. (laughs) And that is how, that is, you know, just a small glimpse at the stress you know, these service members are under watching Afghanistan go down the way it did. Watching people, you know, officers who don't agree with this, who should speak out, who aren't speaking out. Um, we're seeing horrible, horrible fallout. There are people, people who are attempting suicide because they don't want to leave their job. And they don't want to put down their convictions about the shot. So it's, it's a very challenging place. And I think people on the outside have, you know, they think, oh, the military, the government can do what they want to these people. They signed on the dotted line. And these people are still, you know, still people. They still have, you know, opinions. They still have their sovereignty. And I think that's what this is about. It's about your sovereignty to your beliefs, to your body. And um, nobody cares. Nobody's taking a stand. And I think that's why I want people to to do something. You know, I I don't know how it's going to end for us. I don't know, you know, what our life is going to look like in a year. But I'm not going quietly. 
into the night because this is on the outside too. It's on the outside too and they're coming for kids. It's not gonna end. It's not gonna end with one shot and done and you can move on. We're already seeing booster after booster after booster. You know, kids can't go out in public unless they have this. And it's not gonna end. So you have got to hold the line. People have got to hold the line on this. Even if they don't have religious beliefs, you know, even if it's not even a religious issue for them, we still need to support everyone's First Amendment rights and everybody's right to decide, you know, what is going into their body and your medical freedom. This was decide, you know, this should have been settled after World War II, but yet here we are. So I just really want to encourage people. It does matter. It is important. You have to stand up. Even if you are so excited about this shot and you were the first in line to get it and you wanted to get it, even if that's you, you have an obligation to support your fellow countrymen and say, no, it's not okay to mandate it. It's not okay to force people to do things that they are not willing or ready or wanting to do. Well, I really do think that you and your husband are going to be a very important voice in the future. Whatever happens, I think that um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the future. And if if people want to reach out to you, is there any way mm-hmm. that they can get in contact with you? Because I think that you're a perfect voice for this. You perfectly <laughs> summarized the issue for me here. And I didn't even know the surface of it. So um, yeah. really encourage people to share this episode and also try to reach out to you and get you talking to more people. Um, so please let them know if there's any information. Okay. Well, I don't really have like a public social media presence. I try to keep, you know, most up until now I've tried to stay pretty private. (laughs) Uh, this has just kind of compelled me to be like, okay, I need to do something and say something. Um, so yeah. So if people are interested in talking to me or reaching out to me, they can reach out to you and I'll pass on my phone number. Like I said, I don't have like a social media presence or, you know, I can provide my email and, and whatnot. Okay. That sounds great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye. It's the weekend and we can let go. It's the full send and it's the get go. It's the get go. Some honey